0: Today I will be reading Call to Worship, and it is Psalms 93, and it is found on page 552 in your Pew Bibles. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice, the seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty, your statues, Lord, stand firm, holiness adorns your house for endless days. I will be reading today's New Testament reading found in 1 Corinthians 15 through 11 on page 1062 in your pew Bibles. For what I have received, I passed on to you as as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and, that to the, and then to the twelfth. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of, of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am and and his grace to me was not without effect no I worked no I worked harder than all of them yet not I but the grace of God that was with me whether then it is I or they This is what we preach, and this is what you believed. I will be reading Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. It's on your pew Bible, page 975 and 976. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them. But they were kept from recognizing him.
1: Well, at the worthwhile study, I won't today be doing an orderly account of the appearances of Christ to people, nor trying to sequence those for you correctly. Rather today, I want to draw our attention to what these things mean. In my own spiritual journey, since Easter Sunday, since Resurrection Sunday, this year and past years too, I've asked myself, I've wondered, what does resurrection life look like? The scriptures say we have been crucified with Christ, that we have taken on his death, and in so we have taken on his life, for we have been resurrected with Christ. That solves the riddle in the mystery of if anyone would save his own life, he would lose it, and if anyone would lose his own life for my sake, he would keep it. For it is in this mystery of death in Christ and life in Christ that we find life with the big L, life eternal. So we have a Christ who has come in the flesh. It's a very important point, not only practically speaking, but theologically speaking as we go through the New Testament and the arguments that are made in the Gospels, but particularly in Paul's writings. He's come in the flesh. He's lived in the flesh. He's worked in the flesh. He's taken on a ministry in the flesh. He is the God-man. He is the incarnate one. And he has died in the flesh. And the description of that is, is... Poignant and moving. That's why on Monday, Thursday, and then on Good Friday, especially Good Friday, we note that the light has gone out of the world. Hope is gone. That's why we celebrate when life and hope comes back. So in this season, I've been asking myself, what does this life feel like? What is it it supposed to translate to? What does it mean? Where do I see it? And I think it's it's a worthwhile question. I don't know, frankly, that I have all of the answers, but I want to share with you biblically a few. The appearance of Christ to Paul on the Damascus Road is one of the last of the appearances of Christ. It's a post-ascension appearance. He doesn't appear as a resurrected man who's not yet ascended to the Father. He, ascends, he appears to Paul as one who's already ascended to the Father. And the voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? We usually focus on three aspects of this particular story. We focus first upon the fact that Christ confronts Saul of Tarsus about the persecution of the Christians or followers of the way. Secondly, and the biggest point we usually make of, of this, is we cite it as the conversion of Paul. Saul to Paul. We make a big issue of this as a turning point, and indeed it is. We might call it a sudden conversion, but it's a conversion from the worship of the one true God with some misapprehensions to the worship of the one true God with some correct apprehensions and understandings. He now sees the emptying of God in human form appearing to him. He now understands. Paul has been faithful to what he knew to be true, but he sees a new way, and it transforms his ministry and his life completely. That's usually where we focus. Then, thirdly, we focus sometimes on apostleship, the one abnormally born. He's not one of the 12 disciples, he's not one who has tracked and followed the ministry of Christ in the usual way which would have qualified him for discipleship and ultimately apostleship. No, he's the one abnormally born. He has seen the risen Christ and ascended Christ. And that is so powerful in his life, so transforming, so changing, that he's never, ever the same person. Ultimately, as I alluded to a moment ago, he moves from one name to another. He takes on the name Paul. How many of you have that name? Nobody here today. We all know Paul Cardi. The name means little. Don't laugh at that. <laughs> it, what it means really is of little account. I think is is the way that's meant to be understood. Of little account. What is to be of little account? Let's answer this question objectively. Certainly, our Paul here is not of little account. Very uh, helpful, uh, important member of our community. (coughs) Paul the Apostle, is he a person of little account in Christendom? Thank you. No, he's the along with Peter and James, the founder of the Christian church. He's of enormous importance. So why choose the name of little account? Because when we have seen Jesus, especially in resurrection glory, we have a new sense of our place relative to his. Who is at the center of Christ? I mean, of Paul's gospel? Christ. That's the third piece. Today, I just referenced this, with thank you to my friend Eric, I referenced this as something I want you to consider slightly differently. I want you to reference it today as a resurrection appearance an encounter with the risen Christ. Now we go back to our passage, New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians. It says some interesting things. Turn with me to that passage. It was just read. I think I left my bulletin on the pew there. There. Fifteen, three to 11. Now, all of chapter 15 is about resurrection. But this recount is the gospel in brief. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, Cephas, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. So we've talked about that last part, but this first part, Is the summary of gospel If you track the whole passage You see what I mean I bring this to you as a first import Christ died for our sins Which is of course predicated on The fact that he came at all In the flesh That he Was raised on this planet That he had uh, All the experiences and uh, tests That we go through That as a young man of 29 or 28, 30, something around there, he took on his ministry, that his ministry cost him his life, that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and in resurrection appeared to over 500. For some, the question is, is the resurrection real? Is there proof? Is there evidence? Lee Strobel has written a good book on that. A number of other apologists have written on this. I'm interested in this, but it's not the theme or core of what I want to ask today. I want to know what difference resurrection life made for these individuals. And what I would suggest is that for them it was the rebirth of hope. Hope. For them, it was the rebirth of purpose. For them, it was the ultimate fulfillment and verification that everything the scriptures had taught had come true. For them, it was a corrective, for they had understood Christ to be one type of redeemer, and now they understand him to be another He's not just the Savior of the Jews from the Roman world. He's the Savior of mankind from the oppression and slavery of sin. The gospel finds its place, its center in resurrection and in the appearances of Christ. The encounter with the living Christ isn't isn't just an encounter with a living person. It's an encounter with with the entire gospel story of salvation. It's encapsulated in that moment. So if I were to roll that out to you today, I would say that part of resurrection life for me now would mean seeing Christ in such a way as a risen Savior that the entire gospel comes to me complete in that moment. My salvation is accomplished. Does that make any sense to you? Let's go to our other reading, our other passage, our gospel reading Luke 24. Germain to what we just read in Corinthians, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 as a backdrop to what we're going to look at briefly. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words and all the other. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, went away wondering to himself what had happened. So that's Luke's version of the story. It's dynamic, it's alive, and it's filled with intrigue. A heavenly messenger who appears to women. Men who deem these women unreliable witnesses and babblers. Shame on us, men. What was the story? When the angel appeared, they were what? Sore afraid, the King James says. This Has it right? They fell on their faces. Overwhelmed. Strips of linen, nothing left. He has risen. What? It's more than the mind can grasp. One can hardly blame the men for being a little bit uh, suspicious, especially if they were in the camp of the Sadducees. But at the end of the day, this was the testimony of the heavenly messenger. Now Peter runs back to see. In another gospel account, we have John going with Peter, running also. And John, being the younger one and the more nimble one, points out that he gets there first to the tomb. He wins the race to the tomb. What an exciting thing. And then he freaks out. He is not prepared to go in. Peter's older, tougher, less concerned, maybe uh, not sensible of his own well-being, who knows, and charges right into the empty tomb and sees these strips Jesus will later according to 1 Corinthians appear to Cephas John 21 Peter do you love me Lord you know that I love you feed my sheep Peter do you love me Lord you know I love you feed my lambs Peter do you love me? Lord, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter would be crucified upside down, deeming himself unworthy to follow in the foots of his Savior exactly. Thrice denied, thrice affirmed. Restoration, forgiveness, grace. Peter's one of the 12. He's one of us. When we get to verse 13, we find two of them going to Emmaus. Now, it's fun if you have a King James also to see what the actual measure is. I love that this has something we can comprehend, seven miles, but I think the word is furlong or stadia. And the measurement refers to the length of the interior of an arena or stadium, where they would have had the chariot races, where they would have done some of those kinds of things in Roman times, and they're all built exactly the same. If you've been to Jerish in, in Jordan, if you've been to... Um, name a place in Israel, they have a bunch of these, Caesarea Philippi. If you've been to any Roman city in the ancient world, if you've been to Istanbul, Turkey, there's an old stadium there. They're all exactly the same. Not the same setting, but they're all built exactly the same length. And it's, I forget, 686.6 feet or something along that line that, that the measurement is. So you have that length being given in the scripture, I think it was 30,000 stadia or something like that that they were supposed to have traveled, which translates to about seven miles. So they had gone seven miles down the road, and they encountered this, or they were headed there. They were walking with each other about, talking with each other about everything that had happened, that is to say the crucifixion. This appearance is very close to the crucifixion story and resurrection story. It was Mary Mag, excuse me, As they they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I don't know whether he blinded them in this way or whether his post-resurrection state was unfamiliar to them. We know that when we will be resurrected, we will be, what, changed in the twinkling of an eye. We know that when we are to be resurrected, we will put on a resurrection body. I don't know what that means exactly. I've never been resurrected But I can tell you that for whatever reasons, these disciples who had traveled with him, eaten with him, stayed with him, did not recognize him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that happened there in these days? Where have you been, brother? What things, Jesus asked all about Jesus of Nazareth they replied let's put it in today's context how many of you today would be shocked to learn that bin laden had been assassinated i'm glad to see no hands somehow the news has gotten to you have you all heard that of course That was the resurrection story. That was the crucifixion story. All of Jerusalem and everybody around knew this story. This was not anything shocking. What was shocking was that here was a stranger who didn't know what they were referring to They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us, talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with him assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Those of you who have been here pretty consistently over the last several years have heard me preach on this passage at communion time. It's a poignant uh, example. Passover has occurred, Jesus has broken the bread, prayed with the disciples played the role of servant as he's washed their feet. He's known to them in this simple act of communion. When he fed the 4,000, when he fed the 5,000, it was the same communion. He prayed to his father. He broke the bread. He broke the fish. He distributed the food. And the miracle of multiplication and food for all kept going. It's in this miracle, it's in this act that he is recognized by the disciples. It is in this moment of communion and community that he is seen for who he is. There are lots of other interesting points that one could draw on this story. One of the fun things about it is to think you've taken a seven-mile walk, you're settled down for the evening, you're about to eat supper, journeys in these days are not safe or easy, by the way. You break bread. You realize that you're seeing Christ. You don't know what to say. All you can do is get up and run back and tell everybody else. Seven more miles. It's a 14-mile day. How many of you could walk 14 miles today? How many of you could walk seven? I bet you could walk seven and then seven more if you saw the living Christ. I bet you could. That's big news. It causes people to leave comfort of table and bread and bed. It causes people to take a risk and enter the road in which thieves and marauding bands make their way. It causes them to to have such joy in their hearts that they don't feel the drudgery of seven miles of road. We're not talking cars, chariots, carts, horses. We're talking foot and Roman roads. Stone, hard. It causes them to affirm the testimony of two crazy women or three. You didn't laugh at that. Do you agree with that? The disciples thought they might be a little bit nuts, but they certainly weren't crazy. They were telling the truth. It caused them to change their entire perspective, their affect, their outlook. They went from, haven't you heard the news? to It's true. He's alive. It brought them the entire gospel All of the prophets, all of the teachings of Moses, the entire law and prophets fulfilled in one moment of understanding. It consolidated the gospel and made it the cornerstone and centerpiece of their lives. Jesus is alive. Alleluia. Now, in this moment of recognition, there's one other point that I've brought out before that I just repeat. Because I repeat it again and again and again, because I think it's where we're most likely to see the resurrected Christ. It's in community. The communion is but a phrase that indicates that we're together in something together in our faith, together in our belief, together in our hope. Together in what we share. We're together in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine. We're together in service as we are commanded to wash one another's feet. We're together in understanding and living out the joy of the gospel, which says, He came, He lived, He served. He performed miracles. He did great things. He was a prophet of prophets among his time. He was just unjustly accused. He was tortured. He was crucified. He died. He was buried for three days according to the scriptures and resurrected on the third day. He appeared to many and he ascended to his father where he still makes appearances from. Have I seen the visage of the living Christ? Directly, no, I would make no such claim. Have I seen evidence of resurrection life? Yes. It's when the Church of God lives out the gospel. May we return in gratitude to our Savior. Those gifts that He's given to us that sustain our community and serve to help us spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may Thy true self be revealed as one resurrected, that in seeing we may be transformed living resurrection life in this community you've called us to. In Christ's name, amen.